Welcome to the IMDb Journey Podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I actually have a tattoo of Charlie Chaplin on my back. It's called a tramp stamp. Hello. <laughs> That's clever. Very clever. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I... <laughs> and today, we'll be breaking down the Chaplin classic, City Lights. Dean, how are you, mate? City of... No, I'll stop. No, um, no, yeah. no. Wrong podcast. How are you, buddy? Yeah, really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good. Work's been uh, pretty good this week yeah. at the new store. New work. How yeah. is it? That's pretty good. Uh, I think the crew I've got working for me are, are quite... Good. They are. They've they've taken me on board as their new manager, and uh, it's it's going quite well so far for the first week. I did have an issue at home though. My daughter fractured her wrist at school the other day on the monkey bars. I did see that. How is she? Yeah, she's all right. She's got a plaster cast on, and she had to have a couple of days off school. But overall, she's in good spirits. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, we had Mother's Day yesterday, so I took a little trip and saw some of my wife's extended family, which was really fun. I had a lot of a uh, kick to kick with the kids and hurt my shoulders, to be honest. I'm not used to <laughs> not leaping used- and marking. <laughs> not used to those stretches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw my mum yesterday. We went to her house and yeah, had a beer with the old man and then went to Kira's folks' house, had a, had a beer up there with father-in-law. Just a simple day. Mother's Day, you know, not much you do there unless you're going to go out and spend a fortune on meals and that around the town. Yeah, it's not really yeah. that worth it. Not worth it, especially when you got kids and everything. Yep. Just to add the- <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So be sure to stick around after the breakdown, guys, where we'll be having another movie quiz. We'll also be doing our movie draft this week, which is actually going to be on movies that are 90 minutes or less. And we'll also be talking about what else we've been watching this week, including Pacific Rim Uprising. If you're only new to joining us on the podcast journey, first of all, welcome. We're so glad to have you on this journey with us. Please make sure you subscribe to us so you get instant notifications of when new episodes are up. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps, as well as our host site, Spreaker. So thank you to them. You can also check us out on Facebook, obviously at IMDb Journey. We post all our stuff there. And if you want to interact with us on there, go right ahead. And just a reminder, we haven't spoken about Letterboxd a lot, but we are very active on there. So check us out at IMDb Journey, of course. We put up lists and rankings and all sorts of stuff. So if you've got any feedback, please give us a holler. And to all listeners new and old out there, we'd love for you to help spread the word about the podcast. Maybe chat with your other movie-loving friends. Perhaps drop in the middle of a convo that this podcast will cure anyone's blindness. Maybe even leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes to help us move up the charts for more people to notice us. As all our regular listeners know, once we get up to 50 reviews on iTunes, we'll be picking a random review, and that review will get to pick the next movie for us that week. So get out there, give us a good review, and you might have the ability to make us or break us here. You could pick a movie that you would think <laughs> that we'd absolutely hate or a movie that we'd probably absolutely love. Please don't pick one we'd hate. It would really crush us. <laughs> We've actually got three... Ben re- her too. <laughs> ben her too. <laughs> Singing in the sun. <laughs> We've actually got three reviews here this week. First one here is from the Minutia Men. I love the differing perspectives of the hosts. They are very thorough and engaging. They discuss everything from camera angles to dialogue. Well done. Thanks for that, guys. Also, we've got Movies with Mrs. Podcast at MWTM Podcast. 
After listening to only a few episodes, the IMDb Journey podcast has quickly become one of my favorites. Insert into rotation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We've also got one here from the Movie Reviews in 20 Qs podcast. They're a great podcast down from New Zealand. So give those guys a listen. They're really fantastic. And they said, so stumbled upon these guys while looking for a podcast that isn't like the million that review crappy movies and have to say I'm really impressed. The hosts have great chemistry and by doing movies we all know and love, it's really easy to listen along and enjoy. I also really like how they sprinkle in some modern with classic and include reviews of current movies. The chat is often funny and always insightful and is a must listen for any film fan. Can't wait for the next episode. Thank you very much for that, guys. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week, we're on Twitter too, at IMDB Journey. I respond to everything sent our way, and it's a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. And you can leave your thoughts there too, and we'll read them out on the podcast as well. And as always, we're about to get into the breakdown of City Lights, and it will be full of spoilers from the get-go. So if you haven't seen it and are spoiler adverse, please do not listen any further. Go and watch it and come back and hear what we think of it. Or you can check the show notes and see what time we finish our breakdown and start listening from there for other great material that we put out. The always great content that we dish out. Always great content. So we'll be back after this break and a promo from the Epic Film Guys with City Lights. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. We are the Epic Film Guys and we'd like just a moment of your time to talk about an extremely important event coming up this May. Last year, we hosted the live stream for The Cure, a 12-hour live stream fundraiser where we raised $2,500 for the Cancer Research Institute. 86 cents out of every dollar raised goes to research toward finding a cure. And this year, we're aiming to smash that goal, and we need your help to do it. Join us from May 18th through the 20th for 30 hours of amazing live stream content from us and a whole host of amazing podcasters who will be joining us to try to reach $5,000. For more information, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. So, City Lights, released in 1931, starring Charles Chaplin, Virginia Sherrill, and Harry Myers. Is that right? Is it Charles? Charles? Charlie? Is it Charlie or Charles? It's the same name. Is it Dean or Dino? Dino. All right, Dean. Oh. I'll go both then. Directed by Charlie Chaplin. So, this film was quite expensive for a time. It went in excess of over $1.5 million, mainly because Charlie Chaplin kept his cast and crew on standby for 22 months, even though mm. he only actually shot the film for about 179 days. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And like... That money, by today's standards, you're looking at like $21 million back then. Like That's yeah. that's huge. It's huge, huge dollars. But, you know, it, it paid off. It's the fourth highest earning film of the year, 1931. Pro- Unfortunately, there were only six films released that year. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep making that joke every, every Why not? podcast. It's so you funny. You made it with John Ford, the last podcast we're back. Who's John Ford? <laughs> that's exactly what you said. <laughs> so how's about this list of... Famous directors who said this was their favorite film of all time. You've got Russian director Andrei Tarkovsky. Of course. Orson Welles and Stanley Kubrick, to name a few, said this was their favorite film of all time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's impressive, obviously, from a filmmaking standpoint, but as enjoyment, how can it be the most enjoyable film you've ever seen? Well, what about this? In 2008, this film was voted number one on AFI's list of 10 best romantic comedies of all time, and in 2007... 
It was also ranked number 11 on the AFI's greatest movies of all time. Yeah, it's obviously massively regarded. But just looking at this top 10 romantic comedies of all time from AFI, like you got movies like It Happened One Night, Roman Holiday. The apartment? Was The Apartment on there? No. Oh, all right, uh, this, this list is void. <laughs> um, Roman Holiday, Philadelphia Story, Adam's Rib. Like, these are very, very old, old movies. So, I mean, at least when Harry Met Sally's on there. That's getting pretty old now, though. It's about 25-odd years old now. It's really weird to think of 90s yeah. like that now. Yeah, you're right. Man, we're so old. <laughs> Sorry to all the... 32 plus people out there who said who got a bit offended when I said that we a 30 and a 31 year old are old. I do say that sometimes. My mum's like, what are you talking about? Mm, it feels old. It does. So for the set design, Charlie Chaplin initially envisioned the city to be Paris, but it eventually became a mixture of many of Chaplin's famous cities from his childhood memories. He kind of blended them all into this, I guess, this fake uh, city in the end. And with an average of 8.6 over 134,000 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 36 on the top 250 list. Insanely high. This is our highest film we've done so far. Is it really? Yes, I am definitely sure about that this time. (laughs) No spent sitting for old Hendo here. Okay, it's about time. Long overdue. So guess what? It's my turn for a plot summary this week. Is it more than one sentence long? Yes, it is. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Take it away, Hendo. Sorry, you guys can't see it. I'm actually just holding up title cards to Dean, a la City Lights. Yeah, we, we got it. You don't need to say a la City Lights. City Lights tells the story of an unfortunate yet resilient tramp, and he's fallen to love with a blind flower girl on the streets of a city. Hoping to help the girl as she struggles to survive. Hoping to help the girl as she struggles to survive, the tramp goes through a series of trials and tribulations that ultimately lead to the meeting of a drunken millionaire and getting imprisoned. And after a series of comical mishaps and other funny events, the tramp again finds himself on top. Okay, Dean, let's get into this breakdown. Final thoughts? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Come on. What? You've seen, you've seen this before, haven't you? This uh, isn't your first yeah, viewing. Yeah, I have. I actually wasn't sure going into it because um, I had seen a number of the Chaplin movies a little while ago. But yeah, I, I definitely had seen this one before. But, you know, didn't remember too much from it. Do you know what other ones you've seen? Modern times, I want to say I've seen, because I, I was hoping that would be more modern of all of them. Uh, what else is it? You do not deserve that drum. <laughs> That's a sympathy drum. What what else is it? There's The Great Dictator. I There's haven't seen that. The Gold Rush. The Kid. Ooh. I think those are the five that are in the top 250. Oh, I may have seen The Kid. The Kid is the, the earliest. Yeah, yeah, I think I have seen The Kid. I've seen all five that are in the list. Hold on, where's that? Where's that medal for you? Hold on. The trophy? It's right there, mate. You can oh, see it. Oh, you've already got it. Yep. Yeah. Hold on. Hold so on. You got the award on the back of it as well. Most Chaplin films watched. Ah. Yeah. So I see this old title card come up and this music playing. I immediately thought of the Looney Tunes. Just this music and the way, do, 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 just the way it came up. I'm like, this feels very reminiscent of Looney Tunes, even though it came out like 20 years later. 20? 50s? 50s was the Looney Tunes? Was it really? Was it? Yeah, that's not that long after, is it? I'm really, I'm just shooting for the stars there. I really have no idea when they came out. Oh, well. It's a good thing you brought it up then. Yeah. Thought you might fact check me. So let's just quickly talk about the the only, well, one of the only sounds you'll hear throughout this film, and that's the score. What do you think of the score for this film? It was passable. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was fine. Yeah. Like, I didn't think it was great. I think when I first watched it, I thought, I thought a lot higher of it than I did the second time. Really? Yeah. I, I found the first time was... 
it engaged me more. Like, I, it was, like, to use the word lovely, I guess I, I found it when I first watched it. Okay. You know Charlie Chaplin scored this himself? Yeah, it was the uh, first time he'd done that for any of his films. Did you know that it was a way of bringing the sound into his pictures and continuing to attract the audience to the theatres? Because this was actually made as the talkies had just started. Yeah, it was his first film made after, you know, the Hollywood films had transitioned into talkies. And actually, a lot of pressure was put on him to make it a talkie, but he resisted and made it the way we wanted to because he had enough money to and it was his own studio. So stubborn bastard. Pretty much do what he wants. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Just kept to what he knew best. Yeah. And obviously, he's very happy with how it it turned out because it's actually his favourite movie of all his films. So as you referenced in your intro, they use this kind of like a kazoo piece to, yeah, Im- to imitate a, the people it's talking. It's like a paper reed. Like, did you ever did you ever make the reeds with the leaves no, when you were No, I a kid? didn't. Really? Yeah, maybe if I did, I failed miserably. I say couldn't make, really, you just fold them over. Yeah, but I couldn't do the blowing <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, how times have changed. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not as good as blowing as you are. Uh, um, yeah, so this is actually the first time ever that uh, Charlie Chaplin's voice or any, you know, sound from him has actually made it onto film. Yeah, actually, when they when that noise came onto the screen, it, it reminded me of how the adults sound in the Peanuts movies. That yes, ma'am, we were playing hangman. I never saw the Peanuts. You haven't seen anything about Peanuts ever. Not once ever in my life. Jeez, you better hope I don't win a bet today, then. Why? You might get some peanuts in your face. Do they have movies? Do they have movies? I don't know. I don't. I, I know nothing about it. Oh, all right. Well, let's 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 get back to the, yeah. the movie at hand here. Back to the back to the noise that's being um, made. I actually I actually wondered why they would bother with it at all. Um, I found it really off putting. That noise. Yeah. Well, Charlie Chaplin was he was concerned at how his his titular character, the Tramp, would translate to the talking pictures, and he decided to carry on with his new film as a silent picture. So. He definitely had opinions about this big change in cinema, and he used his signature humour to, to poke fun at it. And this is how Chaplin did it, by making fun of these talking pictures, by saying, like, this is this is all ramble, like, all this talking is nonsense, blah, 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 it doesn't even matter. That's how he was poking fun at them. You can also see a bit coming up here, as the voices, the voices, are yelling at him, he puts his nose up to the hand of this statue. That mm. It's going like that, basically to blow his nose or pick his nose up in the face of all these talkies that are coming out, saying, "We, I don't need you." Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a fad that's going to come and go. That's uh, been coming and going for a uh, hundred years now. Hundred, <laughs> getting and close. That- Ninety, give or take. Take, yeah, take, <laughs> take. Yeah, no, no. Obviously, he was wrong, and yeah, I don't understand how you could think that talking on film would not be would not be a massive thing. But, yeah, honestly, for me, I would have preferred just silence there. Because he's lucky that he wasn't, uh, like, an inch further back when he slid down that sword on his pants, right? I noticed he already had that giant hole in his pants when he went to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little bits and pieces like that I noticed in this movie that you could, before the use of CGI or something like that. Mm. I, did, I did like the... Um, the long pause for the national anthem. Yes, where everyone just stops. I thought I thought that was funny, and I just initial initial thoughts on this character of the tramp is this stage. I think he's he's he is genuinely funny. Yeah, he's, he's a goofball. He's, he's adorable. Yeah. Like you can just really, trying to just trying really to freeze as he's as he's trying to put his hand to his chest to get the to get the anthem going, and then he can't hold his pose, so he slips and yeah, yeah it's funny. This next scene, I actually think, is one of the funniest of the uh, of the movie. To be honest, when he sees. The, the naked mannequin in the window 
and he tries to act like he's looking at this horse statue next to it instead of staring at this yes. naked lady figure. <laughs> I thought it was really, really funny. And he does it so subtly. He's so shy and he's cute about seeing this naked, you know, naked lady there. Shame it- we didn't have any sunnies. Could have easily been looking at the at the horse while his eyes are looking uh-huh. at the naked. Clearly a pro at that, Hendo. <laughs> But no, I, I I actually laughed out loud at that, which was which was very good. And then, of course, we lead into this gag with the floor appearing and disappearing. Yeah, I mean, where's all the hazard signs and posters around this thing? It's so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And the guy comes up and he's like angry at him, like, "What are you doing?" Like, I don't know. And you get that you get that reveal nice. when he comes up and he's taller, and that classic yeah. gag that actually reminded me of um, Back to the Future. When Biff stands up and yeah. you see looking over the shoulder, yeah, I think that's probably where they got that from—a little homage. Your homage. Yeah, that's right. No, overall, it's a, it's a quite a funny scene. You know, the will he, won't he moments when he's going back to the the hole, and then he he comes back as the you know the mm. the ground goes down, the ground goes up. Yeah, yeah he re- he really he really tries to get every bit of comedy and laughter he can out of all of his gags. Yeah. Like, is there's not a lot where it's just a one hit punch and then straight onto another gag. Like, it's it's reasonably slow paced humor wise. Do you think that there are points where the 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 gag or the, the gag he's going for kind of drags? Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, we'll, we'll Definitely. Get... Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not the only one. I was I was just sort of like dangling that little nugget to yeah. get started because I I didn't mind it here yet. I actually yeah. like the floor thing. It did go on. Maybe a fraction too long, but I didn't no, mind I it. This was fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't mind. I was just like, oh, they're really. This is going back, forth, back, forth, back. Okay, okay, and then it, that's fine. I honestly, I didn't have a problem with this, but some of the gags coming up, I definitely did yeah. find were a bit long. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you think that because I completely agree. Yeah, it's something I didn't even think of when I watched it the first time. I did. It didn't even bother me. Mm. It's it's just this time, I guess, when we're actually looking at it properly and breaking it down. Yeah. Then, yeah, I did start to notice that, yeah, uh, several of these gags coming up, they, they definitely run the clock out on them. Mm. So this scene introducing the blind girl, I think it's it's really sweet. Like, we get we get all we need to know through a couple of shots of hand-touching, facial gestures, and only two lines of dialogue to really set up this pending relationship or infatuation he starts to form for her. And did you know that Virginia Cheryl... Cheryl? Cheryl. It's Cheryl. Cheryl? Doesn't look like a Cheryl. Is it C-H-E-R-Y-L? No, oh, C H E R R I L L Cheryl. No, that's Cheryl. Cheryl. So Virginia, Virginia. <laughs> no, it's Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> so Virginia Cheryl was actually very nearsighted, and Chaplin felt that her unfocused gaze suggested blindness, and that kind of helped with her character. Yeah, apparently he spent ages trying to cast this role, and it, like she's she's not. Like she wasn't anyone when this when this movie was made. She wasn't famous or anything, and they actually didn't really get along. Well, more to say, Chaplin didn't wasn't really a fan of her. Once they got working together, she actually turned up late once, making Chaplin wait for her, and he fired her immediately and started. He recasted it straight away with Georgia Hale, whom he worked previously with, and re- started reshooting scenes. Yeah, it's only when he realized how much more money it would cost. That he decided to offer the part back to Virginia, only but at double the rate, though. Double the salary she yeah. demanded. He actually did the same thing. Ouch. He actually did the same thing with the millionaire. He recast that because the guy he had originally didn't want to um, do the scene where he falls in the water. Oh, really? Yeah. So he just fired him and got the new guy in. Hmm. Yeah. Seems uh, Chaplin's a bit of a bit of a tyrant, much like Gene Kelly. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, you're right. The, these perfectionists have got to have it a certain way. And I guess when you are that rich and famous and powerful in Hollywood back yeah. then, 
you can you can virtually do what you want. And we talk about now I talk about being a perfectionist here. He actually shot this scene three hundred and forty two times before he was satisfied. Yeah, he didn't know how to convey how the blind girl would see him as a rich person. He didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And he finally settled on the tramp walking out, like getting out of the, the limousine mm. and the door shutting to signify her that he is a rich person. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, geez, 300 odd takes. It's ridiculous. Mm, it is. So, to me, this blind girl is the representation of beauty throughout this film. We also see that the flowers she sells represents this same beauty, and she makes it her profession to sell them to the community. See, I think that Chaplin made sure to infuse this theme of beauty throughout this whole film. And in particular, there are three different scenes along the way that we'll get to that really encapsulate this love and beauty along the way. Mm. So, the blind girl uh, we see go home sees a grandma who she's living with, and she looks out the window and she's, <laughs> she sees her friend. Does she? Now, she obviously doesn't, <laughs> but she obviously senses or hears footsteps walking <laughs> away in the distance. But you can tell that she knows her friend is walking away with uh, a man and she has longing in her eyes. And you can tell from here that she does. she is looking for love and companionship. I imagine it would be an incredibly lonely life. Did you... Is that what you got from that face? Because... Like, I know she's trying to show sadness, but the, I don't know, her expression to me, it was really weird. It almost looked like she was angry. I got this look of anger in her face. It really, it, I just didn't, from her acting or her expression that she had there, it just, I just didn't portray sadness. I know that she was trying to do that. I just didn't get that. I didn't notice that at all. So, okay. obviously you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I thought she was okay in this movie. Okay. Like, I didn't oh, think she was bad. she's fine in the movie, just in this one shot. All right, so we just had a quick look at that scene. She's not sad. <laughs> She's dead set angry with yes! these people. <laughs> thank you. Good pick up, Endo. Good thank you, up. thank you, thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, no, she looks really weird. <laughs> she really does look angry. Like, screw you guys. I have to stay home because I can't see. Come and keep me company. Please. <laughs> oh, I feel so validated. So we end up at this, I guess, a dock, basically, this near the water, uh, this night that comes up. And... With the with the tramp as he comes down, I love the little quirk of him as he walks down one step at a time. Like normally, well, I don't know about normally, but me personally, I take like a one foot onto one step and then the next foot onto mm. the next step. He does step step onto the same yeah step. He does it as well when he leaves the scene yeah. as well. But I think it's I think it's because of the way he turns his feet out like a penguin. Very, yeah, very open. Yeah, and he does have a waddle to him. It's all it's all part of his shtick. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's very amusing, I think, to look at. Well, and, that, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> know, like everything that Chaplin does with his character of the tramp, yeah. it's trying to amuse the audience. Yeah. So if he can do a stupid walk up and down stairs and get someone going, yeah, it's it's amusing, then he's done, yeah, he's he's done, done his he's job. Done his job. And you also get that little shot of him smelling the flower as he's sitting down. Like, he's, he's smitten with this girl. He's enjoying the simple pleasures in life yeah. here. I mean, he's a tramp, <laughs> so this is obviously a massive deal for him. Yeah. So, good on him. So, after all this flower smelling, the tramp finally realises that this guy in front of him is about to kill himself and commit suicide, yeah. which is the same thing. I don't know why I said them both. but You're getting your point across. <laughs> like Chaplin does in this movie. Um, so, we get this. Obviously, there's a lot of slapstick here, falling into the water, then the other one does, and they both do, and then one comes out. This is what I'm talking about when the gags go on too long. Oh, this, really? This, this one... 
It was too much. Oh, I didn't it, think so. It got a bit slow one. for me here. No, I think I, I was still okay with this one. I didn't think this went on too long. I, I've got more coming up. But I this, still think this, this is point, the first one for me when I was like, yeah, this this has gone too long. Okay. No, but I'm, I'm but I did love the quote. I can't put the quote in. But you can't put the title card up? <laughs> <laughs> no, it comes up and it says, tomorrow the birds will sing, be brave, face life. Yeah. He says this to this guy, I think, in order to encourage him during the difficulties he's facing in, in his life. See, for me, the character of the tramp, he's this, he's this constant fighter, and he's always searching for the best in every situation. And I think, in a way, Chaplin is speaking directly to the audience as well, as they may face similar struggles in their everyday lives and maybe need a boost to strengthen their belief that they can overcome the said struggles that he's portraying. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. And and here's another one of these scenes that brings this theme of beauty again, because after the tramp is able to convince him to live, they walk up the stairs, but he returns to go back and grab his flower. And it shows the audience that beauty can be found even in the darkest of places. Like he's... Yeah? Beauty can be found in even the most darkest of places. <laughs> Get off it, Hendo. Fair He still him. goes back to retrieve this small little flower. He's not, he's, he's not going to forget that. So we end up back at this rich guy's place. And yeah, I mean... This seems funny with the bottle of booze, but I mean, okay, we're stretching a bit of believability here. Like, how does he not notice that multiple bottles of alcohol are being poured down his pants? How did he not feel this? The tramp? Yeah. Is he drunk by this point? I don't think so. I think he's he's chucking them over his shoulder. I think he's had like one. Uh, I thought he was drinking them all. Do you, even still, do you think after three drinks he's not going to be able to notice? Yeah, you'd feel it. I don't think the- <laughs> Well, um, you wouldn't. You, you wipe yourself out and you can't feel when you- Hey, hey. <laughs> been a long time since I've done that, Hendo. I'm a responsible adult now. Uh, yeah, no, I think if it was being tipped down his pants, he wouldn't feel it at all. But um, it, it actually was pretty funny. This is a funny scene where he's sort of like thinking they've drunk and all the yeah. whiskey. I, I, did, I did like it. So then we have all this play around with the gun going off and all that, and that's okay. But then we see this butler come in, and he's actually given the name of James. What did you make of that character above any other character in the movie actually getting a name? I thought it was very odd. I'll be honest. You got Tramp, Blind Girl, Wealthy Millionaire. I honestly didn't even know they named James. him. James. Oh, they named him. Well, yeah, they didn't call him the butler. No, it's James. It's really odd. Okay. Uh, I did find it odd that they no, didn't, I didn't call him No, I didn't butler. know that. It's, uh, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so we end up on this drunken night out in the town, and I think... This is a great scene, this. This whole thing with the, the swap out of the cigars as well. It is so funny you say that because in my notes I have ballroom, most boring extended scene so far. Really? This cigar thing is the most extended scene in this movie. Just and the cigar bit? or It does not stop. And the thing is, the thing is, like the hat trick that they start doing where they're playing around with the hats, that's funny. It goes on too long. Then they're sitting down, they're doing the whole thing with the cigar. That just did not stop. And they did the same thing over and over and over again. Do you think... what? Okay, so you're saying that this actual cigar gag went off for too long? Yes. Or the, or the gags here were just... They kept going. No, I don't mind that the gags, gags kept going. Throw more in, that's fine. That's not the issue I had. It's that each individual gag they did, they just played it to death. See, I think the only one that really annoyed me along the way was the spaghetti one. I thought that went on too long. When he's he continuously eats the, the streamer and he stands up along the way, that went on for too long for me. I think the cigar one was fine because he ends up lighting both ends of the cigar and that's what he ends up putting in his mouth. You can't just do one side. You have to do both for the notice. What I don't get, even if you're, you're drunk or anything, he just throws 
a cigar over a lit cigar over his shoulder like it's nothing. We've already, <laughs> what an we've, we've already determined that uh OHS is obviously not <laughs> oh, not God. an issue with these people here. He just did not care. He's like, Yep, see you later. Yeah. Sets this girl's dress on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, unreal, this guy, this tramp. Such a tramp. <laughs> I think it was funny the The, the casual u- drunk driving? No, no, I'm not up to that yet. No. I think it's funny the use of the, the- casual drunk No, I'll stop. <laughs> I think it's funny the use of the pulling down the jacket to initiate a fight. That's how they portray it. Uh, like, you want to fight? I'll pull the jacket down. Well, that's the thing. They can't say, yeah. do you want to fight? They can't do They can't yell at each other and or they anything. Do it, they do it but so often in this film. Like, yeah. yeah, well, there's so many things in this film that they do that you wouldn't do in real life. No. But they do it so the audience is can see what they're trying to get across. They're trying to convey that they yeah. want to fight. And this jacket thing... Again, goes on again and again and again. But and it's again. used in every little gag along the way. It's not like repetitive in one in one cycle here. Yeah. And again, you can see Chaplin starting to add in a couple of sounds here and there when you get that little <laughs> whistle that as he's as he's slurping the spaghetti up. I thought, yeah, that might have gone a little bit too long there. Yeah, only had to do it like maybe twice. I think it goes on I like bet four that or five. Killed in nineteen thirty one. Hearing that sound, oh, oh I would have been rolling in the aisles. I would have been. What did you think of the dance that came out? I thought that was so aggressive. He's got her by the neck and thrown her up and down. No wonder Chaplin got up to start a fight with him. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was unreal. Yeah, I mean they had to. They they ha- that's the thing with this silent movie. They have to exaggerate yes. every bit of physical movement that they do. So if they want to come out and do a, a dance number where Chaplin mistake or Tramp mistakes him as being aggressive, they need to make sure that it looks aggressive. Yeah, damn so right. the audience understands where he's coming from. If it was just like more traditional Spanish dancing, where it's you know, it's not exactly line ball, but if it was like that and he started getting up in arms about it, the audience would be sitting there like, what's his problem? Yeah. But obviously, because it, it is emphasised and does look aggressive, we're on his side. We're always on Tramp's side. Maybe not with a cigar throwing over the shoulder. I think I was no, against I was, him. I was on his side. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he was done with a cigar. Throw it away. <laughs> I'm done. New joke. <laughs> <laughs> so we're into the morning after. We're driving down the street. Yep. Love a bit of casual drunk driving in the 30s. I think this... Uh, I love how the roads are just empty at this point. Because yeah. if you had a car, you were like really wealthy. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think this um, Am I Driving joke... Actually, I think it works better in this silent film with the title cards. Because I, I, when I saw it again and it came up, I actually laughed out loud with that title card that came up. Whereas if the joke was in a normal talkie these days, I don't think I would have laughed if the character just looked and said, Am I Driving? I think the title that came up, I thought it made it laugh funnier. Yeah, no, that's fair cool. I thought it made it laugh funnier. <laughs> I also like how it does foreshadow that this millionaire drunk consistently chooses to get so drunk that he forgets where he is and what he's doing, which includes forgetting the tramp as soon as he wakes up and begins to get sober every morning. This is setting it up. Like, Am I driving? He just forgets everything while he's drunk. Mm, fair point. Have you ever been so drunk that you've forgotten meeting people? What, like new people? Yeah. Probably. I don't know. If I'm, I would have forgot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the right answer is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, actually, when when I used to... Uh, uh, Get blind yourself drunk. <laughs> yeah, write myself off almost every weekend when I in my younger heyday. I would actually... I didn't have a car at this point. I'd walk around town a fair bit, and I would have people stop and talk to me like, Hey, how are you? What's going on? <laughs> I would have zero clue who these people are. Give happened, them a smile. Happened all the time. It's like, yeah, hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> so the tramp stumbles upon the blind girl again on the street, 
and spends 10 bucks for two bunches of flowers. Now, $10 for flowers these days is standard for two bunches. I spent more than that on Mother's Day, I can tell you now. $10 inflated from 1931, $153 now. Really? Yeah. That's a, that's a fair bunch. That is that is a large amount. Yes. It is, it's quite large. <laughs> I like the way he takes he takes a blind girl into his car. which His you know, car? Well, the wealthy man's <laughs> yeah. given it to him. Yes. In his stupor. Um, and pretends that James is his butler. Yeah. It's very clever. You oh. see that James has a bit of a disdain for the tramp along the way here. Yeah, Does he's, not he's care not for the tramp. So he takes her home and he says, I'd like to see you again. She's like, yeah, whenever you wish, sir. Yeah. It's like, yeah, of course you're going to say that when he's dishing out <laughs> 10 bucks every time for flowers. <laughs> Yeah. Buddy Gold Digger. I reckon. And how's he, how is he peeking through the window? What a creeper. I just see that. Yeah, and I, I like that he gets busted yeah. and you can sort of say, yeah, this doesn't look good. No, this does not look good at all. So he heads on back and we get a sobered up millionaire now saying he doesn't want to talk to anyone. He doesn't want to have to deal with anything. He can't remember who the tramp is anyway. And here's another theme that I, I got along the way here. It's, it's the theme of the, the class system like the upper and the lower class and how they mesh together here. And there's... Like the wealthy and the tramp. Exactly. And this here is one of those instances of class divide that Chaplin brings up throughout this film. We even see the tramp stealing a cigar away from an even lower class man along the way here. And what makes it funny is that the tramp is dressed up in his brand new clothes from the millionaire Mm. and also driving his Rolls Royce. Mm. It shows us that bullying of the upper class to the lower class extends in all different ways. Mm, Exactly. And man, he's got a mean streak on him. I mean, breaking and entering here, Grand Theft Auto, like he's... he's <laughs> Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> to- I think you got to steal more than one car for it to be Grand Theft Auto. And I don't theft think it's... Theft Auto? I don't think it's theft if the person actually gave you the car. Yeah, I don't know. Public acts of violence to me pushes this bum over. Public act... This isn't Clockwork Orange. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's a menace to society and he needs to be stopped. <laughs> we need to fix him. <laughs> So we head into later on that afternoon, noon, we, noon, we head into later on that afternoon and it's, it's a bit of a coincidence that he happens to walk past him at the exact, at the exact same time the millionaire's walking out of the club drunk again as well. I mean, mm. seriously, this guy needs some help. Yeah, he's, there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> actually, we forgot to mention, it did actually bring up why he was writing himself off. Like ah, that. yes, of course. Um, yeah. So we do find out in when we first go to the wealthy man's house, that he is getting a divorce and his wife's left him. Yes. Hence uh, all the drinking, all I the guess. Drinking. What'd you think of this little party that he was at with the with the bald head thing? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind. I mean, it's weird what they were wearing. Oh, I, yeah. I don't understand what theme they were going for <laughs> no here. But He's lucky he didn't stab me in the head may- with the fork. Maybe that was just the fashion back then. Could have been. <laughs> it was funny the first time when he tried to uh, eat the bald man's head. <laughs> yeah, scoop it off with and a spoon. And it, it, was, it was set up well. Like, yeah, it's- I didn't mind that. But what I didn't mind really was this whistling what you didn't mind really so you were a fan of it what i didn't like was <laughs> yeah but what i didn't like was the whistle gag the whistle, yeah this went on forever yeah it did but luckily it redeemed itself at the end with, with the, the whist- dogs with the Come taxi on. and the dogs I was, Come on. it was funny like the taxi nah. was okay but when the dogs ran up to him nah. that got me that got a laugh out of it stupid that, out of nowhere yeah that's what makes it so coming. funny like, what that's what no. makes it so funny no 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 nah, that that got me the the whistler sitting down hiccuping and whistling was it went on for far too long but when the taxi and the dog showed up that got a chuckle out of me so you know worked out well in the end i guess 
So now we get into the more serious sort of meat and two veg of the story where we get the tramp <laughs> who goes... Meat. What? The meat and two veg. Yeah? <laughs> what? Have you never heard that expression which no, I just came up then? <laughs> I know what it means. I wonder if everyone else out there knows. Cause I think that's a very... Um, Is it Aussie? It's Is a it very too Aussie? Aussie slang. Is it too Aussie? Um, Me- meat and two veg... Uh, is just, that Aussie? Meat and two veg? Yeah, it is. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, they don't have meat and two veg in other they don't countries? Call, they uh, don't your call... Your junk meat and two veg. Junk? <laughs> I'll have you no good, <laughs> sir. <laughs> All right, what were you saying? I don't know. I, I got sidetracked with <laughs> junk. Anyway, we get into the more serious side of the story where um, this blind girl, lady, she is a doctor. She's, she is a doctor? What? Wow, that would be impressive. A blind doctor. <laughs> I wonder if there are blind doctors. GPs, maybe? You're going, sure. you're going off on a tangent. Bring it back. Bring it back, Dean. Probably not. Let's it's talk pretty about, impressive. Let's though. talk about the tramp working hard for the money to cure the illness of the blind girl. Let's talk about elephants, shall we, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Could you work out where the hell this elephant came from? That's the beauty of the gag. It's the same with the dogs. Oh, it's just, no, 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 no. It's not the same as the dogs, because dogs are a normal thing in a town. I... <laughs> He's, there's no for He's cleaning, he's, cl- you know, cleaning the streets. Yep, he's doing his thing. Sees all the horses. He's like, nope, well, I'll go back the other way. Thank you. And this <laughs> elephant just cruises past. And, like, after I saw it, I thought, okay, he's going to walk and there's going to be a, a huge pile of shit or something <laughs> that he's going to have to. No, it's not mentioned or referred to again. No, it walks past and it's done. He doesn't need to. Like, like he- how hard would it have been in 1931? All right, I need an elephant on set, please. Can we get the elephant think- on set? I think. Chaplin actually owned an elephant. Really? No, I made that up. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> False. <laughs> this scene actually leads into a very serious question I want to ask you, Dean. Would you rather pick up horse shit or elephant shit? You are actually taking this seriously. Well, I'm trying to think. So, I imagine that, obviously, elephant shit would be larger in size. But if we're saying, like, would you rather pick up, like, a kilo of elephant shit, a kilo of horse shit, <laughs> I don't know what elephants eat. But I assume, I think horses just eat, like, hay and shit, don't they? Hay and shit. And people buy horse dung, don't they? I'd go horse. What about you? You know, I've never really thought of it, Dean. I would probably say the horse as well. Yeah. What about a bit of better question? Would you rather pick up the horse shit of ten horses and or one elephant? <laughs> okay, wait. No more of this. <laughs> <laughs> one elephant, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just leave it at that. So, you see the grandma... Get the letter that has you owe twenty two dollars in rent. That's a lot. It is, but she goes and hides it. Why is she hiding the letter from the blind girl? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like she's gonna can suck see it. it to the door. It's not in braille, is it? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh dear. You get the tramp having his lunch break as he comes back in and. This guy sits down and starts having his lunch. What was on this guy's sandwich? He puts down what looks like a big block of cheese onto his bread and starts slicing, looks like a raw potato. <laughs> I'm like, what, are, what, what is this sandwich? I couldn't make it out. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That <laughs> was ridiculous. It's the potato cheese sandwich. <laughs> the raw potato and cheese sandwich. That was a staple in the 30s, mate. It looks so weird. I didn't. I couldn't understand what it was. It ended up being a soap sandwich, but that's here. No, that's neither here nor there. Did you like the bubbles? Were you a fan no, of the bubbles? No, no, that was that was stupid. I it didn't 
You can easily tell that it like he's standing on the side view and yeah, like, yeah. you can see how they did it. I, I didn't mind it to be honest. The first when he like first started talking, the bubbles came. I was like, that's pretty funny. But again, it went on. on. It yeah. went on and on, and I was like, all right. And even for a film that goes for like eighty-seven minutes or something, ninety-six, eighty-seven, definitely eighty-seven. Yeah, because with uh, ninety-seven minutes, we definitely have gone with the theme of movies ninety minutes and less for today. Where did I get ninety-seven from? I don't know. Maybe you watched the wrong movie. You, you cut me off. <laughs> he heads back to the blind girl and just randomly reads the newspaper and is a cure for blindness. Just boom. Sit it free for poor people. Free for poor. <laughs> All right. Now, cure for blindness already. That's ridiculous. Yes. Free for poor is like, who's reading this? <laughs> <laughs> she can't. Oh, man. Right, very convenient. Then we get like a three-second scene of the grandma selling flowers. What was the point of that? I think that was to cut. That was. I think they needed to cut through that. Yeah, that was. Uh... I tell you a joke that didn't stick and went on for too long was this string, pulling the string out of his jacket. Oh yeah. It went on and it wasn't even funny. I'm sorry, no, Chad. That wasn't funny from the start. Yeah, and it kept going. It's like, all right, move it on. Did you notice that he's? Did you notice that he breaks the fourth wall several times in this film? No. He does it here. He definitely looks at the camera with his confused look on his face. And I think he does a little while later in the film as well. I didn't understand that. Well, like, sometimes, like Ferris Bueller, for example, like he's actually looking and talking to us. It's, it's, it's designed throughout the film. This film, it just starts happening randomly and for no reason. And I was definitely a bit confused by why he put that in. All right, let's get into the boxing match, Dean. How did this first boxer get a telegram that the cops were after him before the cops actually got to him? I don't know. Maybe some, uh, someone read it, knew who he was, and went and found him. So sent a telegram to him. Did the, did the cops... Was it sent to him? A, tele, a, a male person walked into the boxing arena with a telegram that said, Get out of town, the cops are after you. Well, obviously that didn't come from the police. Of course not. It came from someone who knew where he was and decided to send him a telegram. That was a bit weird. Yeah, okay. Did I notice it's something small, but tonight, the word tonight was written with a hyphen in between the two and the night. No, I didn't say that. I did. It was there. Okay. Do you think that's weird? Is that a 30s thing? It is thing? weird. Yes, it is weird. Yes. Is it a 30s thing? Yeah. Maybe it's a telegram thing. Could be. Yeah. What if telegram there, is hyphenated? And again, another gag that goes on for too long is this back and forth between the tramp and this other boxer. And the he, new fighter? Yeah. He's giving him these weird little, they're supposed to be like erotic looks? They're not erotic. He's trying to befriend him. He's trying to woo him. He looks like a weirdo. So he can make a 50-50 deal. And that's what's funny. But him looking like a how, weirdo is funny. But there is some sort of erotic to it because the guy looks at him and goes and changes behind the the curtain. He's weirded out by him. Yeah. Also, why did he have to do that? He just pulled his. He just took his pants off. He's wearing his boxes. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so he didn't just change. <laughs> he just didn't want to. He didn't want uh, the tramp to see him take his pants off. <laughs> but it's okay if he sees what's underneath. Yeah. Also, we're supposed to believe that this other boxer is like the the strongest out of all of them because he knocks this other guy out. He biffed him bare knuckled. Of course he's going to knock him out. Of course. Like you would ever <laughs> knock anyone out with a bare knuckle punch. You don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have some we'll idea. find out right now, mate. <laughs> yeah, getting into this match, I honestly thought I was going to come into this boxing match thinking it was the best scene of the film. But watching it again, it's not. No, it's Definitely not, um, but I would say it's the second best fam- scene of the film. I agree with it. I agree with that. Yeah, it's. it's, it's I didn't realize I, when I was watching. I, I didn't realize yet. it was one take. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. It's very funny. 
Yeah. It's very clever, and it would have taken a fucking long time to get it all done. So they spent four days rehearsing, six days shooting, with over a hundred extras present. Like it's a it's a massive scene for back then, and the way they dance around the ring, it's. I mean. <sighs> I know it's funny, but seriously, that referee is the worst referee of all time. What is he doing? It's so funny. He's staring at the other guy. It's very funny. I'm it surprised, is funny. I'm surprised you were disappointed by it, to be honest. No. I, I really liked it. There was just bits of like, again, some of it was going a little bit too long, and uh, just a couple of little bits annoyed me here, but it, like you said, it's just, it is the second best film of the... Second, it is the second best scene of the movie, so I th- did enjoy it, but I, I went into it from my memory the first time thinking, yep, this is going to be the best scene, and watched it again, I'm like, oh, okay, it's not as good as I remembered it. Like, yeah, it leads to a couple of chuckles, but again, it's it's repetitive. Uh, like, I, f- I feel like with this film, Chaplin had a good story that he couldn't stretch out to a feature-long runtime, so he filled it with these repetitions of some of these gags. And uh, don't get me wrong, I really, I really like this story, and I find the characters very likable, and that you would really root for, but in terms of the comedy, it does feel a bit stretched out, and maybe that's what comedies were like back in the 20s and 30s, I'm, I'm not sure, but... For this film, it, yeah, like we've been saying, there are a lot of gags along the way that definitely feel stretched out. Did you see the string that was attached to the Trent when he when he dived at the boxer? No, I didn't. I, know, I noticed it before it happened. Like I, I could see the, really? the line. I'm like, okay, something's happening. Oh, and he dives, and he yeah. dives again, and like, okay, that's what that's there for. Yeah, this is actually one of Charlie Chaplin's most joyous times in the film. I, I read an interview from uh, Virginia Sherell who said that the the filming of the boxing scene was the only social life that we had at the studio. She said that Charlie must have had over 100 extras present, and he encouraged his friends in town to come and watch. Everyone loved boxing in Hollywood in those days, and Charlie was so funny in the ring. The boxing scene became sort of a party at the studios, and Charlie loved every minute of it. And I do like how halfway through it we get to see the blind girl appear uh, to the tramp as he's in the corner after taking the beating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he sees her. And he's strengthened to carry on because of, the, of her presence. See, I didn't like that. And her love and her beauty. Again, carrying on with that theme. And the the he's doing it the for punch her. Punchline that he's doing all this stuff to the guy. And it's, I didn't find it very funny. That that part there is not supposed to be funny. This is this is the it story. It is meant to be funny. He's like rubbing and touching this guy. Oh yeah, that part is. But the part the part with the the blind girl is not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be symbolizing this dedication to her. And the and his love, mm. and it's beautiful. So we're into nighttime now, and here comes Drunky McGee again. Drunky McGee, <laughs> seriously, get some I've help, been, mate. I've been calling him that from the get go. <laughs> this guy's on real. This millionaire, wealthy man, crap. <laughs> Drunky McGee. <laughs> he uh, gives him a thousand dollars. That's fifteen thousand three hundred dollars today. That's crazy. It, it I need is. to pay for some rent. Just, Here's fifteen grand. Yeah, casually. <laughs> yeah, casually. So casually. But, you know, it, it doesn't work out for him because, uh, you know, there's goes these... to prison. Well, it's just these un- series of unfortunate events here that occur. And again, this is another use of the theme of the class system in this film. You know, the tramp is accused of stealing money from this millionaire when it wasn't him. And because the man is unable to remember what actually happened, the tramp gets put into jail for a crime he didn't commit because he's accused by a man of the highest status in the community. Hmm. And there's, those are seriously, there's some inept cops that can't catch this one guy. There's like 50 of them at one point come running in. 50 or 15? Probably 15. Uh, but seriously, 15 cops will run up to the door and he walks in and goes, oh, he's in there. And they just run away into the house. That's is not... he wearing tramp clothes at this point? Uh, I, don't I don't remember. Know. If he is, then that's really dumb. If he's not, then I can understand that to some point. Uh, if they were called on a, on a robbery and some guy walks in and goes, oh, he's in there. Don't you think one goes, all right, you come with me and point him out? <laughs> 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 on your way, sir. I guess so. <laughs> 
So we see that we're heading into autumn now, and the tramps obviously had a bit of time in jail. And he comes out, and he's very ragged. He's back to his tramp status. And you can see from this shot that the blind girl is not blind anymore. You can you can obviously tell that. But if you couldn't, she looks in the mirror to let you know that, yes, I am not blind anymore. Did you think she was coming off as a bit of a snob here when she was laughing at him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was a bit rude. She was definitely coming off as rude. But I think that does increase the... You know, the sort of, the change in her, like she's gone from rude to, oh my God, it's him and they have this moment. Well, I think the change actually comes before that when he looks at her in the window and she comes out to help him. Yeah. Yeah. And then she notices with the touch of the hand. Yeah. I feel, I thought the acting here was really good. Um, they were able to convey so much emotion in such a simple way. Like their facial expressions are like really quite beautiful. And here's a quote from Chaplin himself on it on the scene, he felt that this scene was a beautiful sensation of not acting, of standing outside myself, he said. The key was exactly right. Slightly embarrassed, delighted about meeting her again, apologetic without getting emotional about it. He was watching and wondering without any effort. It's one of the purest close-ups I've ever done. And I think that does capture what the scene is really, really well. And for me, this is my... Excellent! Yeah, this scene shows everything the film is about. Be- being able to see the true beauty in someone beyond what they look like or have, it's only when she touches the tramp's hand that she truly recognises him. And it's a sign that she's known him all along. And not because of his wealth, but because of his beautiful heart. Wouldn't uh, she, like, smell him, you know? Well, he, he probably smells a lot different now after being in prison for a while. Well, you think he smells better? Well, it definitely it's a smells worse. Cramp. He would have smelled pretty bad. He wouldn't have smelled that bad after being like living the rich life for a little bit. Was he showering there? Anyway, I love the line when she says, I can see now. Because not only does it mean her physical side is back, but also the notion that people we least expect to help us are the ones that have the capacity to do more than we think to change our lives. And she now sees that clearly. Hmm. And there was no question that Charlie Chaplin poured his heart and soul into his pantomime art that he deeply loved. And the film's final shot was one that he was really proud of, having put in a great deal of work into it despite its relative simplicity. And yeah, like he said in his interview, just perfect. And actually, critic James Agree <laughs> agreed <laughs> and actually said in 1949 that this was the greatest single piece of acting ever committed to celluloid. Really? I wouldn't go that far, but I definitely agree with what you said that this is also my excellent as well definitely and considering that's the final scene of the film any last words dean why don't you kick it off with your final thoughts for okay. city lights this is an amazing achievement in cinema to make a movie after the success of talkies as a silent film and to have it be as successful as it was is a true testament to the power of chaplin He poured his heart and soul into this movie, and even though the story is a bit simple by today's lofty cinematic standards, this film does need to be judged in part for the time it was made in. But looking at it in today's eyes, it still holds up very well. It is entertaining, funny, and charming. Chaplin masters the wide-eyed innocence of his character perfectly, and whilst the supporting cast does feel flat in comparison, they are serviceable enough. My biggest problem is that some of the skits do drag on a bit, and I did feel bored in parts, taking away from the overall humour of the film. Even at 87 minutes, City Lights felt like it struggled to fill the runtime, but for its time, very impressive. Alright, what are your thoughts of the final variety? 
So after I had completed the 250 list originally several years ago, I put this film as my favorite Chaplin film. I absolutely loved it. After this rewatch, it pains me to say that it's not as good as it was the first time. And this is the third time that it's happened for me so far on this journey, the other two being A Beautiful Mind and Django Unchained. And don't get me wrong, I still did enjoy this film. It's sweet, it's very funny at times, and Charlie Chaplin is fantastic in his role as the Tramp, as he is in every film I've seen him portray that character. His use of slapstick physical comedy without the use of sound is a joy to watch, one that is lighthearted and easy to digest. There's also some good themes of mistaken identity and the class system and love and beauty, and Chaplin works them all together quite well in what is essentially a goofy comedy. However, this time around I noticed that some of the gags didn't sit as well with me and felt some of them dragged on for way too long. They were very repetitive or they just weren't funny. It felt very hit or miss to me. But overall, it still mostly hits, just not as many as I originally thought. I'm interested to see how this shapes up with the other Chaplin films I've seen. I guess we'll find out in the future, won't we? Yes, we will. Hmm. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where does City Lights sit with you with the 13 films we've done now? Uh, so for me, obviously, no surprises. It does sit towards the very bottom end of it. It's better. We'll start from the bottom. It's better than Ben-Hur by a mile. Um, I couldn't tell from your reaction. So, the next two for me are Singing in the Rain and Vertigo. Vertigo is definitely better than it. So, it comes down to, is it better than Singing in the Rain or not? Yes, it is. I did like it more than Singing in the Rain. So, for me, it comes in at number 11 of 13. What about you? Okay, so I'll do the same as you. Let's start from the bottom. Uh, For me, it's better than A Beautiful Mind. It's better than Wild Tales. It's better than Singing in the Rain. It's better than Ben-Hur. But Vertigo is better than City Lights for me. And I think it's actually a margin there. I, th- I think Vertigo is much better than City Lights. So City Lights sits at number nine for me out of 13. Very good. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. All right, just the two reviews this week. We've got one from Chris again on Letterbox. Said, this was my first Chaplin film and my first silent film. I'll admit that going into it, I thought I'd be absolutely bored during it, but I found this really enjoyable and quite humorous. I'd always heard that Chaplin was a master at using movement for comedic effect, and I've got to say the hype was real. His timing is perfect. I look forward to my next Chaplin experience. Thank you very much for that, Chris. Looking forward to hearing your next review. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And we've also got... Shane! All right, Dean, what does Shane have to say about City Lights? Shane says, This movie is really funny. For a film made in 1931, City Lights proves that some jokes never get old. The humour is really dumb as well. Falling over, slapsticking around, the goofy character Chaplin is portraying is such a hopeless buffoon who can't stop tripping over and making a mess of things. But further than that, there's just genuinely silly moments that are kind of creative. Plot-wise, there isn't a whole lot to this movie, but the characters are all sympathetic and by the end you will also find Chaplin's character endearing. He has some interesting facial expressions. I certainly don't think it's a classic that deserves to be on the IMDb Top 250, but as far as non-talking pantomimes go, you'd certainly expect it to be much worse. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Shane, once again. Thank you. So let's check on our Twitter poll that we put up last week where we drafted films that were robbed of Best Picture. We had a couple of opinions here that came up. One from the Ghost of the Stratosphere podcast said, Daniel has it for me. And Chicago won Best Picture? Cripes. I was really hoping someone picked Lost in Translation, but alas. Also from the We Watch the Thing podcast said, I'm going with Daniel, not necessarily because his movies are better, but because the ones they lost to are worse. Uh, from One Giant Leap for Geeks, going with Dean on this one. To be fair, I've seen all the films in his list, so I'm kind of biased. Lol. 
Also from Melissa at Brook Reading Pod. Definitely, Dean. The fact that Pulp Fiction lost breaks my heart, and I think any of the Star Wars movies are better than Annie Hall. And also, more quality, character-driven action movies need to be recognised. And finally, Dregs of Craigs at Dregs of Craigs. Sorry, Daniel, but Dean wins by virtue of Pulp Fiction alone. Can't argue with that logic. Well... You know, if you're going off a single oh, film... Oh, stop sucking. If you're going off a single film, that's fine. That's your opinion. That's your opinion. <laughs> yep. As you can tell from my voice, 48 votes later, 54% to Dean. Very tight race. So they definitely went back and forth a couple of times along the way. But uh, kudos to you, Dean. For yeah, good picking job. the best movies. I guess that's a two-to-one uh, victory for you now on the movie drafts uh, yeah. side of things. But uh, hold that thought because we've got a... Pub quiz, asshole. Now, hopefully the questions we have for this week are a bit of an upgrade. We've definitely gone and looked at another set of questions here. Yeah, they can't be any easier. All right, let's play the music. All right, Dean, go first. I mean, I'm looking looking at this. This is not going to be any better. Okay, who starred in both Leaving Las Vegas and Honeymoon in Vegas? That will be Nicolas Cage. Correct. Awesome. All right. Who played Wolverine... In the X-Men films. Didn't we already have this? Oh, okay. These aren't multiple choice, no. so they might they might trip us up a bit. Um, Hugh Jackman. Don't say he's going to trip you up on this one. Yeah, yeah that's right. Who enchanted us in 2007 and was Lois Lane in 2016? Amy Adams. Correct. The Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield doubled as the title prison in this 1994 film. The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that's right. Good. To all. Here's an easy one. Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland have all played which superhero? Spider-Man. Correct. Dean Jones drives this model of car to victory in the 1968 movie The Love Bug. The Beetle. I'll give it to you. Volkswagen Beetle. Beetle. Yeah, yep. Very good. Very good. Oscar winner Tilda Swinton plays which frosty villain in the Narnia films? I don't know her name. I'm going to say the, the White Queen. No! Sorry, it's the White Witch. (laughs) Man, you're very close. Man, that was really close. All right. All right, Dean, next question. Mr. Darcy fights the undead in the 2016 film Pride and Prejudice and What? Is it zombies? That is right. Yes. All right. If I get this wrong, that's it. Doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) I think it's over. I do too. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. Who played Leonard Zelig in 1983 and Danny Rose in 1984? I don't even understand the question. Say it again. Who played Leonard Zelig in 1983 and Danny. <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> and Danny Rose in 1984. These must be characters in movies. Leonard Zelig. And Danny Rose. What were the years? 1983 and 1984. Oh, back to back. Okay. Please, are 1994. Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, it's... <laughs> Zelig and Danny Rose. Have you heard of either of those no, characters? but 83 and 84. So I feel like they're movies that are connected. No, it wouldn't be. It's the same actor in different movies. <laughs> 80s. Characters I have never heard of. This is going to be ridiculous if it's... Uh, no one I've ever heard of. Um, Bill Paxton. Oh, that's not bad. It's incorrect, but it's not bad. Uh, the correct answer is Woody Allen. I was never, ever <laughs> getting that. 
Alright, I guess the last question doesn't matter here. But anyway, what is the name of the 1980s movie that had a group which included Mouth, Data, and Chunk? Um, is it The Lost Boys? No, it's The Goonies. Oh, yeah, I've never seen it. Wow, man. I've... Yep, okay. Damn it. <sighs> That's good. Those questions were better. No, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> what are you yelling, you bastard? Alright, okay. So, as you lost the Twitter poll and the quiz... I get to give you two movies for the week. I'm not doing very well on these things recently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? If I shout a movie out this time, are you going to take it? Do I go Do I go with ones that I'm pretty sure you'll really like, or do I go with other ones? <laughs> I think we're... Spoiler alert for the what we're watching segment. I think, we've, I think we're even on the Fifty Shades, Freed, and Superman 4 debacles. Hey, that is a classic. I'm going to go a Tom Cruise double here. Sounds intriguing. Can I guess them? Yeah, sure. Mm, okay, I'll say cocktail and the color of money. No, vanilla sky. Yes. Yeah. Van- <laughs> I changed to color money at the very last second. So vanilla sky. All right. Vanilla sky and one we mentioned last week, interview with the vampire. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. If you, if I only had to give you one, I had a, a single movie to go. But I, I thought the double. I'll go the Tom Cruise. All right, and to finish off our City Lights segment, it's time for this week's... DVD Challenge. Let the games begin. Challenge accepted. Where we'll be drafting movies that are 90 minutes or less. Okay, cue the music. And I'm first this week, so let's get prepared. Dean, are you prepared? Yes. Be prepared. Be prepared. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Because I'm picking Lion King. Be prepared. Yeah. Lion King's my first one here. Fair enough. All right, Dean, what's your... First two you get to choose now. First two. I will go with Toy Story. Obviously. And I'll also go Fantastic Mr. Fox. Wow. I didn't think you were going to pick that. I was going <laughs> to... Not that I would have got it, but I was actually going to save that for my number five. Because ah, I didn't think enough. you were going to pick it. Okay, then. I'm going to go with Beauty and the Beast, the original animated film. And let's just keep going with the animated films. I'm going to pick Aladdin. Alright, my next two, I'm going to go with Stand By Me. Okay, that's a good choice. And Office Space. Okay, and for my last two, hmm, do I just go full five animated films? Hmm, No, I'm thinking of a couple here. Uh, Why don't we go with a couple of comedies here? I'm going to take for my last two, this is Spinal Tap Mm -hmm. and Airplane. Fair enough. What's your last one, Dean? My last one, I'm going to take South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Okay, then. So that is our movie draft for this week. I'll put the poll up at some point during the week, and everyone get out there. And, okay, I'm going to go there and vote for Team Dean, because every time I tell you to vote for Team Daniel, we just yeah, yell uh, around. You finally got something right, mate. <laughs> vote for Team Dean. Well said. So, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what movie we'll be watching next week. Dean, why don't you hit that random... Number generator button. Okay, a high number this week. We've got 233. 233 is The Wizard of Oz. Okay, nice. Awesome. Okay. Sticking with the 30s for next week. Oh, but it's colour this time. And it's sound. We're spoiled. <laughs> yes. Spoiled rotten. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, reveal the draft that we're going to do based off The Wizard of Oz later on in the week on Twitter. We'll have a think about it and decide what's going to be a good one. That's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. Stick around for after the break and a promo where we will be talking about what else we've been watching this week. But that is going to do it for City Lights. 
What is the Potter family? Hey guys, it's Rad Dad Chad, Jay Mills, and Lil Man from the Full of Fiber podcast. Hey, this is Bro from the World of Row podcast. Hey, this is Rick from Ice and the Face. This is Eric Mocker from the Mockers podcast. This is Cyanide from the Little Geek Lost podcast. This is Greg from the Sports Dance podcast. Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant podcast. This is Nick from the Epic Film Guys podcast. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. This is Matthew McDonough from the Passersby podcast. This is Adam from Everyone Has a Podcast. This is Gareth from the Open All Powers podcast. This is Nock from the Geek Over podcast. We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks podcast. We are you, podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Potter Family and use the hashtag Potter Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter Family, where great podcasts come home. Okay, so now we steer away from the spoiler-filled section of the podcast into spoiler-free. So never fear if you haven't seen these movies. We will not be spoiling them. Take it away. How many films did you see this week, Dean? I saw five. You saw five films. How many are you going to be talking about, though? I will be talking about three. (laughs) Three of them. (laughs) Because one of them I've already discussed, and one of them is actually on the top 250, so we'll talk about later down the track. What was the one you've already talked about? The one I've already talked about was Greatest Showman. You watch that again? Not by choice. Okay. Yes, we'll I did watch that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I saw seven other films this week, but I'll be talking about six because one of them was Black Panther, and I've already spoken about that. My thoughts didn't change. Okay, so my number six film of the week is a movie that I am stunned that didn't get picked for our draft of movies that are 90 minutes and under, because clocking in at about 88 minutes, how did neither of us pick Superman for The Quest for Peace? Well said. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> what a 180 this Superman franchise took. <laughs> yeah, so you've seen the first one, which you loved. Now you've now seen, seen the last one. Which I which despised. <laughs> oh, come on. It's, Did you get any enjoyment from it? Very, it's cl- very close funny. to none. It is pretty funny. Here's the notes that I wrote down. The title sequence looks like a Windows 95 screensaver. <laughs> it wishes. <laughs> the special effects are hideous. Is this the movie that Superman 64 was modelled after? <laughs> Feels like an asylum knockoff of a Superman film with the actual Superman in it. And people can't breathe in space. <laughs> Superman takes a, a character, a human, into space and she's just chilling, talking and that. I'm like, it's in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this movie was very dumb. It's so... Aren't you glad you watched it, Stupidly though? slapstick, n- nonsensical, s- just terribleness. But Nuclear Man. Uh, it's horrible. You can... Very, very, very much skip this. The effects are good. It's not even so bad it's good. It is so bad it's good. It's I had not. this on VHS and I watched it over and over and over and over When again. you were young, you probably thought it was a masterpiece. Yeah. I watched it a few years ago. It's really bad. But it's funny. All right, let's talk about the double that I watched here. Let's talk about Pacific Rim first, because I thought... Ooh, this is low. <laughs> this is early on in this segment. Let's talk about Pacific Rim, because I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed Pacific Rim, the first one. It's really good. It's mm-hmm. like... Transformers, but like a but good, I'm telling you. Like, and I think the reason why is did Guillermo del Toro directed this, and he gets some really in-depth characters. Like the people that are in this movie, you care for them. They have backstories, and they and they merge together so well with each other. It it really works with the the actors and the actresses he has in this film, and the action sequences. They're all CGI in that, but they look very good. It's a really enjoyable film that I actually would go back and watch the first Pacific Rim. And then I watched Pacific Rim 2. We were born into a world at war. 
Between the monsters that destroyed our cities and the monsters we created to stop them, we thought we had sacrificed enough. But the war we thought we finished is just beginning. And the only thing standing in front of the apocalypse is us. We're just, ter- <laughs> we're just terrible. It's like Guillermo del Toro's gone. Oh, did you know that Idris Elba is in the first Pacific Rim? No. Well, he is. Is he good? Yeah. He's not in the second. No, he's not. Interesting. But yeah, Pacific Rim Uprising is just like like every other sequel they do. Hey, let's let's double down on all the things that make this look cool. They they throw in more kaiju's, more battles, but they lack characters. Every character in this film is completely forgettable. I don't relate to any of them. I don't care for any of them. They try and throw in like it's it's related to the first one in a couple of ways, which I think one big way doesn't work, but another way kind of works. So that's probably one of the only good things that's got going for it. The action is like it's it's not as good as the first one. Like it's okay, but it's overall it's it's a, it's a mess, and I didn't enjoy it. Mm. I enjoyed the first one. I didn't enjoy the second one. So Pacific Rim Uprising is my number five film for the week. Fair enough. So I think I took a page out of your book, Dean, because I watched a couple of Marvel films this week. And the first one I'm going to talk about here is my number four film, and that's Captain America, The First Avenger. Yeah, I think this is a very middle-of-the-road Marvel film. I mean, there's some good things going with it. I think Chris Evans is really good in this role. Uh, Hugo Weaving is okay. He's a bit weird in this film. Uh, the the CGI now, looking at, especially the, the, the tiny Steve Rogers with the face, it's definitely weird. I'll give you that. Like, the way the face is, is put on there... It, it, it irked me, and I, I didn't really, I didn't really like that. Tommy Lee Jones is just playing cranky Tom, Tommy Lee Jones in this film. He's nothing special here. The action's okay in it. I don't mind the film. It's definitely in my uh, lower tier of Marvel films, but I think it still passes the mark as a, a Marvel film you can pop on and enjoy. Fair enough. All right, let me jump in here. Yes, please. I feel like I'm talking <coughs> to everyone out there. Without <laughs> to myself. Oh wait, there are people actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. Okay, so you actually, right now, surprisingly enough, you won something and got me to watch <laughs> Rebel Without a Cause. Now, I know you're saying this is your worst of the three films, but is it a recommendable film to you? Well, if you had any patience whatsoever, no, I don't. You, you would know in about 30 seconds. No, you'd I have know no the patience. To that. Just tell me now. And if you hadn't have asked that stupid question, you probably would know by now whether or not I would recommend it to It's people. worth it, though, to talk to you like this. <laughs> tell me. Okay, so Rebel Without a Cause is regarded as an all-time classic by many, and I do not know why. Boom. (laughs) Drop the mic, D. Hot take. Sick sick burn on the old James Dean there. James Dean, in his most famous role, is not really a rebel at all. He's your typical strong but sensitive type who quietly broods around every scene he's in. Yes, he does have solid bone structure on his side, but he's hardly the legend everyone makes him out to be here. And he's clearly in his mid-twenties playing a 16-year-old, which is just ridiculous. The character of Judy is a joke. An incredibly traumatic incident happens to her, and she brushes it off like it's nothing. It really takes you out of the film. Honestly, I think I was personally more affected by what happens than her character was. And the actual rebels of the film, the leather jacket-wearing gang members, are not fleshed out at all and are just there to move the story along. But the music is good. Maybe it... You Maybe said, it just hasn't aged well. You said he wasn't a rebel, but did he have a cause? Not really. He just wants to keep to himself. Like this is our, this is our. That's an- a rebel. 
he's our protagonist here. He just moves to a town and wants to just be by himself and not cause any trouble. That's literally what he does the entire movie. He wants to not cause any trouble. That's his thing. Rebel without a... He's not a rebel. Just because he looks cool and has this red jacket, right? That doesn't make him a rebel. Maybe it did in the 50s. Whatever. Do you like that film? Yeah, I think it's a three or something like that. It's pretty average. Okay, so my number three film is Borg McEnroe. Now, if anyone doesn't know what this film was about, it's the story of Bjorn Borg, uh, a famous tennis player, and his biggest rival, the young and talented John McEnroe, and their legendary duel during the 1980 Wimbledon tournament. Dean, are you a fan of tennis? Yes, I am. I think you'll enjoy this. Really? Yeah. Like, do you know anything about the history of tennis or anything like that? The history of, t- like, how it was invented? Yes. <laughs> the history of rackets. <laughs> do you know much about, like... I don't know much about um, McEnroe and... What's his name? Bjorn Borg. Borg. No. Borg. Borg McEnroe. I don't know much about those I people. think you'd enjoy this. I mean... I, I actually really like tennis. I like watching the um, Australian Open every year. I, I like watching that a lot. And, um, yeah, I don't mind the odd hit. Yeah, well, this actually... <laughs> so you say I don't mind the old bat. <laughs> Yeah, well, this actually has a, surprisingly, a lot of tennis in it. Can you believe it? But it actually has these characters, you get to know them and their story leading up to the issues that they're struggling with heading into this Wimbledon tournament. The guy who plays Bjorn Borg, Severe Goodness Son. Goodness Son. (laughs) He's actually really good in this film. I think he plays the character of Bjorn Borg quite well. Do you know Borg? I don't know Borg. I know John McEnroe. How do you know he plays it well? Because I looked him up. I'm like, ah, I see. I see the similarities. And he actually he looks very similar to him. Like, at the end, they show, like, the pictures. Like, they're doing all the true stories and that. And then, like... Did you see it? And you were like, goodness, son. That's that's really remarkable. I'm like, goodness, son. It's very severe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who plays uh, John McEnroe in this? Is it John McEnroe? No, Shia LaBeouf. Ugh. No, he, he's very good. He's very good in this film. He, he nails... Is he Transformers 1 very good? He's, he's Transformers none good. That's how good he is. He plays the John McEnroe really well. Like, he nails his little outbursts and his, and his little quips and that. And I think the acting-wise, I think acting-wise is really good, but this, the tennis stands out in this film. Very much like Disaster Artist to compared to The Room, they they mimic the shot-for-shots in some of these tennis matches. And I actually went and watched the, the shot-for-shot comparisons on YouTube afterwards, mm. and it's really good, this whole tennis match, this infamous tennis match that is um, that they're putting on display here. I didn't know the result of who won it either, so it was actually really interesting to see the result of that. I think that you would enjoy this film. If, you, if you'd like tennis and you know who these people are, even if you don't know the people but you like tennis, you'll definitely enjoy this film. Very good. I might go check it out. Do it. All right, my next film I watched was Thor. You did say last week you were going to watch a couple of Marvel movies. Yeah, and I, d- I did do that. And Thor is okay. Like, Hemsworth is pretty good. Man, he's enormous in this movie, though. Like, I'm not sure if he stayed that big. He's really massive in this film. His pecs are massive. <laughs> massive pecs. Love the pecs, don't you? Uh, Natalie Portman's quite good in it. I'm always a fan of hers. Except maybe The Dark World, but we'll get to that. Um, well, who's the actress that plays her Kat sidekick? Dennings. Kat Dennings is atrocious. I don't know why she is in this movie. She really does not feel like she fits into this Marvel. Isn't she more? Even isn't she even more prominent in the Dark World? Yeah, I think she is. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of her at all. Nah, me neither. Um, but you know, like the thing with this movie, it is, is it actually has great characters. Like Anthony Hopkins' Odin is really interesting, and obviously the standout is Hiddleston's Loki in his first appearance, and the backstory he's given is fantastic, and the way he 
you know, like politically maneuvers through the film is is quite impressive and is a great setup for obviously his uh, main villainy in the Avengers movie coming up shortly. So, and I mean shortly compared to Thor, I don't mean. Um, I thought you meant shortly in your watching of it this week coming. Yeah, that's what I did mean. So, yeah, I mean, it it's a good film. It does get let down a bit um, by cheesiness and pretty just, it's just not that original. I think is the thing that stands out for me. There's nothing that stands out for me. Okay. Okay, and that that's a problem. So, yeah, I would say this would be bottom third Marvel for me. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I saw it a long time ago. I think I, last time I watched it was before the Avengers. So mm. yeah. it's just it's just very non-offensive. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, my number two. I've already spoken about it. Specific Rim. Um, yeah. Great film. All right. My number one is one you've already spoken about. Um, Captain America: First Avenger. Yes. Yeah, I was I was actually really impressed by this movie. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, Chris Evans is is really fantastic as Steve Rogers, and I had no problem at all with the with the Evans on the little body. I don't know what did you think the special effects were poor? Yeah, yeah. yeah I just thought the face, the way it was lined up in that, it looked really bizarre. Like from the the chin perspective, it looked like they just lopped off his chin. Or mm. I didn't. I didn't. I had an issue with the, the the middle part, like the whole. USO tour and all that. I think that went on for too long. I'm like, I completely forgot that was in there. And I was like, oh, okay. And it's still going. Like, mm. All right, let's 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 do something, please. I really, yeah. I really appreciated all this sort of setup um, that has since paid off with introducing the, the Tesseract, obviously one of the Infinity Stones. Uh, like, stuff like that. When I watch it now, I get more enjoyment out of seeing all this setup that goes back yeah. so long um, to lead up into Infinity War. So... I did appreciate that more. Um, Agent Carter, she was good. Tommy Lee Jones, as you say, yeah, he's always the same sort of grumpy man. I actually like that, though. Like, in this film, it felt right. Like, he's the yeah, grumpy it, it, drill it instructor or army man, whatever he is. And, yeah, I, I didn't have an issue with that. And the villain, I, I liked. I liked Hugo Weaving as a villain. So, yeah, one of, uh, yeah, I would say it'd be mid, mid-third and thereabouts. Yeah, all right. That's fair enough. What's your number one film? My number one film is Captain America Civil War. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean... Hey, yeah. Why, why'd you watch that? Kira wanted to watch it. I'm like, I'm not going to say no. Why don't you watch number two? Because Civil War is better. But why'd you watch number one? Because Kira wanted to watch it. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to say no to a Marvel film. Fair enough. So we'll watch that. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to watch Winter Soldier this week, though. <laughs> yeah, so we watch, we watch Civil War and then we watch Black Panther afterwards. But Civil War is, for me, it's the best... Marvel film in the franchise. I think it's. Did you think that before you watched it? Yeah, yeah. I've never, never changed my mind on that. On that since the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's fantastic how you just culminate all these you know heroes that you've gotten to know over like uh, probably what uh, fourteen odd films at this point, isn't it? Maybe thirteen. Uh, but I just like the the moral dilemmas that they face here because they do on both sides. They do have points like. There's no right or wrong side here. You can you can take you can understand where Captain America and Iron Man are coming from here. I mean, you know the the fights that they have. Yeah, it's fantastic. But you know you know no one's gonna get seriously hurt or die or anything like that. But it still didn't take away from my my love for this film. I thought the airport scene is just is unreal. Just it's uh, I love that so much. And then even the final fight at the end with Cap and Iron Man and, and Bucky. It's it's great. It's shot so well. The Russo brothers, they know what they're doing and it's fantastic. Like Winter Soldier and Civil War are my two favorite Marvel films. No surprise that they both directed those. 
I think this is a fantastic Marvel film. I think it's a fantastic film. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, that's my favourite film of the week. Very good. Not a bad favourite film at all. So that's going to do it for this week. Dean, what are you going to be watching this week coming up? Besides all the films that I didn't give you. Yeah, I mean, this is a problem. Without the without you forcing without me, me telling to, you what to watch, without you, you don't know what me to, do. to watch movies. I'm just yeah, I meander on. You, know, you can't make watch your own a mind couple up. here and there. We'll see how I go. And just there's yeah, Avengers obviously. I'm guessing Iron Man three might trot into the dark world. Oh god. Yeah. Hey, you said you were going to do it. That's a grim run there. <laughs> Iron Man three into dark world. But you get Winter Soldier after that, don't you? Yeah, that's that's a reward, I yeah. guess, for the pain. But you're not going to watch that many films this week. Well, I'm going to be watching Wizard of Oz and I'll, I might have a crack at uh, Vanilla Sky and uh, Interview with the Vampire, maybe. Oh, maybe. you will. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to watch Lean on Pete. It's a new 2018 film that I've been hanging to see, so I'll get out there and check that one out. And who knows what else will come up on the cards. You know, I'm like a little bit like you, Dean. I, I go where the wind goes in terms of my movie watching. Mm, mm. Try and go for 2018 films, but you never know. I might chuck on an old classic. Who knows? You, you'll find out next week. So be sure to send in your reviews for The Wizard of Oz and any other films we put up on Twitter that we've been watching throughout the week. You can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. You can get hold of us on Twitter at imdbjourney. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney. You can also check us out on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash imdbjourney. Make sure to get out there and give us a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe there. Give us all the feedback you want. We love any type of feedback that helps us make this podcast get better for you guys. Other than that, We'll see you next week for Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. All right, see you guys. Bye.